days uh, this week, and I know the question usually pops up, are we going to be here Wednesday because Wednesday is Christmas? Well, I know a lot of congregations have changed their date and their time for their service. Uh, We have never done that here, and so we will be here, and if you're here, then you will be here. And the same is true with the weather. Uh, You know, are we going to cancel service? Uh, I've always had the approach, if I'm here, I'll be here. If I can get here, I will be here. And I know there are others that if it's possible to get here, will be here. Uh, But it's always uh, encouraging to see that. But we also realize that you have to think about your own safety and security. And so if you don't feel that it's safe to travel, then don't do it. And So that's up to you. That's the decision that each individual makes. Uh, but like I said, uh, we're, there's some that are usually here. I know the one Sunday I did not make it, there was somebody that was here. So there's, there's people that are determined to be here. And if they have the means to be able to do that, that's great. So don't risk your life. Tonight we're looking at Thomas, one of the other apostles. Uh, We have one left that we're going to be looking at, and that's Judas. We're looking at the original 12. And um, it won't be next Sunday because next Sunday is the last Sunday of the month, so uh, sometime in January, maybe the first uh, Sunday, we'll look at Judas and what we can learn from his life. But Thomas uh, is a Hebrew name, and so and uh, Thomas is also called Didymus, and both of those names mean twin. That's a Greek name. Who was the other twin? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and there's nothing in history that we can see that uh, sheds light on that. Eusebius uh, says that Thomas's real name was Judas. And that Thomas or Didymus was a nickname given to distinguish him from the other two men called Judas among the twelve. How true that is, I don't don't know, but that's just what this individual tells us. We know that Thomas was from Galilee, and tradition says that he was a fisherman or a carpenter. And I always find that kind of ironic that you got two, two differences. You're either a fisherman or a carpenter. I've known carpenters that fished and fishermen that were carpenters, uh, but uh, it's not usually an or. You, you may be both. So where they come up with that, uh, that I don't know also. But that's what I had read about, uh, about Thomas. It's interesting to note when you look in the Scripture that he's always paired with Matthew in the list of apostles. What, does, what meaning does that have? Uh, I'm not sure. Don't know. Uh, but he's mentioned only by name in the first three Gospels. That would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And only in John is there more or additional information that's revealed about Thomas. We learn from Thomas that he was ready to die for the Lord. Jesus had told him on different occasions that he was going to die. In John chapter 14, we know he says, Let not your hearts be troubled that He was going to be leaving, that He was going to prepare a place for them. And then in John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, we know He said these words, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go away, the Comforter will not come, or if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. And when He is come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
So He had promised in John 14-16 through 16 that the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, would come. That they were to go to Jerusalem and tarry. And then we see in Jerusalem, when they were there, all assembled in the upper room, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they spoke in tongues. They spoke in languages that people could understand so that the Gospel could be shed or spread throughout the world. And so we see that if Jesus did not leave this world, then that Comforter would not come. But it was God's plan that Jesus was to die on the cross. And because of that, uh, there were still things that they needed to teach and they needed to know. And so the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, would help them and guide them in all truths. And so what we have written from the Word of, or in the Word of God by the apostles and other inspired writers are what God wants us to have. And so we need to understand that it is the written Word of God. It is something that we can rely upon, that we can trust. And we can live our lives by it because we will be judged by it in the last day. But something interesting that we learn about Thomas in John chapter 11 and verse 16. It says there, Then Thomas, which was called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples said, Let us go that we may die with him. Thomas was an individual, even though we refer to him as Doubting Thomas, he was an individual that was committed to the point where when Jesus was going to go, he was willing to go with him, and if it cost him his life, so be it. He was willing to die. And I think that we see that with other apostles. We see that Peter, on the occasion when they came to arrest Jesus, that he pulled out a sword that he was ready to fight. And I believe that he was ready to die on that occasion if that's what was necessary. But Thomas was an individual that was also willing to die for the cause of Christ. And as we have seen in our study of the apostles, that all with the exception of John, and we haven't talked about Judas yet, died for the cause of Christ. Judas obviously committed suicide because of what he did, and he could not live with that decision. And so he took himself or went out and he hung himself. But all the other apostles we see died because they believed what they believed and they were teaching it to others. Thomas knew that the only way to keep your life was to lose it. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39, it says, "...He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it." We're here on this earth as Christians. When we obey the Gospel, we made a commitment to God. And that commitment to God means that we sacrifice ourselves. We talked this morning about giving and generosity. That we as God's people are to be full of goodness. That we are willing to expend ourselves. Not just our money, but our energy, our talent, our treasure. All the things that we have in our possession, in our control, we are to be willing to use for the cause of Christ. And when we understand the true meaning of life, we understand what is important in life. And it's not all the stuff that we can accumulate while we're here. The things that are really important are the things that God tells us are important, and that is our soul, our relationship with God, and sharing that good news with other people. There are many other things that are written in God's Word that tells us the importance of our our, uh, responsibility here on this earth. But when we live for God, we've made a commitment. When we obey the Gospel, we said, we're on your side, Lord. We want to do what you want us to do. We've surrendered our life to live your life. And in doing so, there's a possibility that we could be persecuted. 
Most of the time in our in our country and with the people that are around us, our persecution may may involve uh, language. People say things hurtful to us. They may try to embarrass us, cause us to be ashamed. But it is possible, we know in some parts of the world, when people obey the Gospel and are trying to live the Christian life and trying to share that Gospel with other people, that sometimes it costs them their life. Maybe it costs them their freedom. They may be put in prison. But they may be arrested. And they may be put to death. And so that can happen to us, and we need to realize that if that happens to us, that we should be willing to make that sacrifice because we know what God has in store for us. Thomas's attitude was a great compliment to Jesus and to Himself when Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus considers us His friends if we obey Him. Do we look at Jesus as a friend? Someone that we're close to? Someone that we can rely upon? And would we lay down our life for what Jesus stands for. Would we die for the Lord? We must be prepared to do so if it came to that. In fact, in Revelation 2 and verse 10, it says, Fear none of those things which which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So they were going through some persecution. They had tribulations that they had to face. And here the writer tells them, even if it costs you your life, be willing to do it. Why? Because we're going to have that crown of life. And that promise would be to us also. And so remember that that Scripture, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And hopefully we consider Jesus a friend of ours. You see, Thomas wanted to know the way to heaven. And that's something else that is very important that Thomas asked. Because in John chapter 14, as I'd already mentioned, Jesus said, beginning in the first six verses, "...let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am..." There you may be also. Thomas said, verse 5, Lord, we know not whether Thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto Me, or unto the Father, but by Me. That phrase is very important. People want to go to heaven. People want to have a relationship with God. People want to be able to call Him their Father. They want the forgiveness of sin. But Jesus here tells us that He is the way and He's the only way. In fact, let's look at those words when we talk about the way. We realize that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way to have that relationship restored so that we can have that relationship with God where we can call Him our Father. Because sin separates us from God, and the only thing that can bridge that gap was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so if you want to go to heaven, if anybody wants to go to heaven, it's going to be through Christ because He is the way and the only way. 
Now, I hear people on television, I hear people in different places talk about other ways. You go your way, I'll go my way, and we're all going to get to the same place. My friend, listen. The way that any one of us is talking about is not the Lord's way, then we're not going to get to where we want to go. And it may sound good to other people to say, well, you know, we're all trying to get to the same place. And that may sound encouraging to a lot of people. But the question is, is it the truth? Because Jesus said, I am the way. There's no no hesitation. There's no doubt. He makes it very plain that I am the way. Jesus is the way. So if you want to make it to heaven, He's going to tell you how to get there. And so we can look at the truth. Because you see, you can't get to the way, you can't follow that way without the truth. If you don't want to accept the truth, then how are you going to get to heaven? If you don't accept Jesus as the Son of God, if you don't want to accept the fact that He's, His Word tells us what we need to do to get to heaven, then how are you, how are you going to get there? You see, the truth is important. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. So what more do we need to tell us how to get to heaven? How to have that relationship with God? God's Word is what reveals that to us. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that is confused. And we see that confusion in a lot of things in our world today. But there are people that will say there is no absolute truth. Well, if there is no absolute truth, then Jesus is not the way. And Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Me. So, if I want to make it to the Father or to the Father, then I have to accept the way that Jesus provides and accept the truth that He tells us that He is giving us. So He is the truth. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you in all truths. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He shall show you things to come. And so we remember in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, when the disciples were gathered together in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit or they replaced Judas with Matthias, chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit descended upon those twelve. And they begin to speak in tongues. And that goes on to say that Peter and the rest of the apostles stood up and began to speak. And what Peter says on that occasion, we read, he preached the Gospel. The fact that Jesus died for their sins, that He was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave. And when they heard that, when Peter said, by wicked hands ye have crucified the Son of God, the Savior of the world, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Did Peter give the truth on that day? Remember, the Holy Spirit was guiding them. The Holy Spirit was given by the authority of Jesus Christ. And so when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you... In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Was that truth? It most certainly was truth. And that's what people need to do today turn away from their sin, stop doing the things that are wrong, and put their faith in God, and be baptized into Christ. 
You see, that baptism in Romans chapter 6 tells us that baptism represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mentioned this morning in Bible class about an individual that I had seen uh, on the internet that his dying wish or last wish or one of a make a wish, whatever uh, it was, his wish was that he wanted to be baptized. He didn't want to have water sprinkled on him. He wanted to be immersed. He'd read his Bible, he said. And I thought, well, isn't that the only way that you would come up to that conclusion is by reading the Bible? Because if you read the Bible, you understand that it's a burial. It's not somebody pouring water over your head or sprinkling water over your head. They both went down into the water, what says of Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. In fact, it talks about John's baptism that it took place where there was much water. And so you go down in that water, you're totally covered up by the water in that grave, that water grave, and then you come up out of that water cleansed by the blood of Christ. That water's not magic. That water doesn't wash us away, wash the sin away. It's our obedience to the fact that Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's what Peter taught. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch heard. And that's what we need to obey today. The simple Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the truth. And then as he tells us in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, where he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We see that before someone becomes a Christian, there's teaching that needs to take place. We see that with the Ethiopian eunuch as he's driving down the road in that chariot. Philip joined himself to that chariot and asked him, do you understand what you read? And the eunuch says, how can I except some man should guide me? And we know that he was reading from Isaiah the 53rd chapter. <clears throat> and that's where Philip started to preach. Started to teach him the Word of God. And that's exactly what took place or is commanded to take place in Matthew chapter 28. Teach, baptize, and then teach some more. And so he taught him the Word of God. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water and said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And the eunuch made that good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He made that confession, and the Bible says they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So I've said before, I'll say it again. He didn't need to be baptized on the day of Pentecost when there was about 3,000 people that were baptized. That would be the day to say, you know, baptism is not really necessary. Because doing this and bringing people up is going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of muscle. It's going to take a lot of energy. But you know what? They were willing to do that. Why? Because that is the way, the truth, and leads to life. And so we need to do that today. The eunuch both went down into the water, him and Philip, baptized him. He came up out of that water and the Scripture says he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing because he'd done what was right. He obeyed the truth that Jesus was talking about. So without Jesus, there is no knowing the truth. We also look at that word life. As we've been looking at on Sunday morning, the Bible tells us that Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. 
Jesus came to this earth not just so that we could have a you know get, you know get by every day kind of life. He wants us to have a life where we have meaning. We know why we're here. We know our purpose. We know what we're supposed to be doing while we're here. We understand what's important in this life. And we realize that it's not all the stuff and all the possessions. It is the souls. And our soul. And our ability to go out and to teach others. And to share that good news and to help those that are in need. Those are the things that we have a responsibility to do and to live up to as a Christian. But Jesus came and made that possible so that we could have that abundant life. And without Christ, there is no living. You can look at certain passages of Scripture and it refers to those that are in sin as dead. Did you know that? That when you're in sin, when you're in that condition, you are dead. And the only thing that can make us alive is being obedient to the Gospel. Being obedient to Jesus Christ. Doing what He says so that we can have that life that He's promised to us. And no man can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 and verse 2. It says, "...in my Father's house are many mansions." If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. You see, He's gone to prepare a place so that you and I can go. So that we can have that place in eternity. It'll last forever and ever. A word that we cannot even comprehend. But others wanted to know the way to heaven. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8-10, through 10, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. <clears throat> and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned into the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. People want to know how to get there. Abraham wanted a better place. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, And now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. <clears throat> you know, there's places on this earth that are very beautiful to behold. Beautiful to experience. Let's walk through and listen. The peace, the tranquility, the comfort that you may get by seeing those things and, and experiencing sitting there and just listening uh, to nature. None of that is it can hold... A, it can't even be compared to heaven and what heaven will be like. And so many people search for that place and they want to find it. And Jesus is the way to get there. And we need to listen and obey Him. <clears throat> what about us? Are we looking for a better way? Do we want to know the way to heaven? And if we find the way, if we find what the Bible teaches about how we are to live our lives to get there, <clears throat> are we going to follow it? Or are we going to be like so many who say, oh, I want to go there. <clears throat> I want to go there, but I want to go there my way. It doesn't work that way. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas was a practical man. In John chapter 20, verse 25, 
Back up in verse 24 it says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not there when Jesus came. And other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the, the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. We oftentimes look at Thomas and talk about his reaction and sort of kind of condemn him for being a doubter. In fact, the children's song that they sing about the apostles, you know, Jesus called them one by one. We talk about even in that song and doubting Thomas and Matthew. We got them lumped together right there together. But we label him as a doubter. All the great men and women in the Bible, such as Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Gideon, Elijah, had their moments of doubt. I believe that most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have had moments of doubt. Thomas doubted no more than the other apostles, yet we label him as doubting Thomas. Mark chapter 16 and verse 14. It says, Afterwards he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them that had seen him after he was risen. There were some other apostles that doubted, just like Thomas did. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Can you imagine that? The apostles that had walked with Jesus, seen the miracles, seen what He did, how He talked to people, they doubted. It's not wrong to ask for advice or to ask for evidence. The Bible expects that. In Matthew chapter seven and verse fifteen, <clears throat> Jesus said, "Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves." Jesus tells us there that there are people that will come and to try to destroy our salvation. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that I am take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So if you have people out there that are saying that they're the Christ, if you have people that are out there that are false teachers saying things that are not true, then how do you figure it out? Why warn us that there's nothing there that we can do to prove what is true and what is false? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if there's false teachers out there, people that claim to be the Christ that are out there, how do you defend yourself against them? Well, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 
So here we see the warning, and then we see that we are to try them. We, we are to test them. What do we test them to? How do we try those spirits? We go to the truth of God's Word. Are we hearing the truth when people say what they say? Any good preacher is going to say, I want you to check on what I say. I want you to read it for yourself. I want you to go home and study what we've said today. Why? Because you know what? A good preacher realizes that they can be wrong. And they want people to listen to God as opposed to themselves. Now, there are some preachers that are out there that want you to listen to them. And that's really part of the problem in our world today, the religious world, is that people would rather listen to their preacher than listen to God. And sometimes preachers and leaders in the church will lead people astray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. How do I prove it? I compare it to God's Word. I study God's Word. I diligently seek that Word. And I want to understand what it is that it's telling me. Check on what the Bible says. Check on what it says compared to what someone else says. What I say. Make sure it is the truth of God's Word. You see, doubt does not mean a lack of loyalty. Thomas was so loyal, if you remember in John 11 and verse 16, that he was ready to die for Jesus. But what he was hearing was just something that just seemed impossible. That Jesus had come forth out of the grave and was alive. Could you put yourself in Thomas's shoes? You think you could understand why he might come to that conclusion that that would be hard to believe? Thomas missed seeing Jesus because he was absent on that Sunday evening. <clears throat> could it be that he was saddened by what had taken place on Calvary? And thus he was despondent over what he had seen. Was he afraid of the Jews like the others? We don't know why Thomas was not there. We don't know why he wasn't present on that Sunday evening. But we do know this. But it was to his detriment that he missed it. He had to live in doubt for another week until he saw Jesus. And he touched the nail prints. And he thrust his hand in his side. In John chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, it says, And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. <clears throat> then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy fingers, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. The word Lord there means <clears throat> master, king, owner, and one worthy of reverence. 
I heard in the news this past week that there was a school in London, maybe you heard the same story, that they had changed the Christmas carol of the little Lord Jesus. And they changed the word to take the Lord out and replaced it with the little baby Jesus. Well, I don't know what you think about that song, but the fact of the matter is, when you take the Lord off of the baby Jesus, He's just another baby. It means something to call Jesus Lord. It means that He is our Master. And people want to take that label off of Him, or that title off of Him, because they don't want Jesus to be Lord of their life. They want to be Lord of their own life. Jesus is the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called the chosen and the faithful. You know, when that trumpet sounds, I want to be found calling Jesus my Lord before that day. Because guess what? We're going to confess Him as to who He is. No matter how we lived our life here on this earth. But it may be too late on that occasion to do it. So make sure you're right with God now. Because we don't know when the end's coming. We don't know when our life will end. But we do know that the end is coming. And that if the world keeps going, our life will eventually end also. But we must do more than just call Him Lord. We must show by our actions that He is Lord. How do we do that? Well, Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? He's telling us there that if we are calling Him Lord, then that means He's our Master. He's our King. He's our Leader. And we've pronounced our loyalty to Him. And so if He's our Lord, we need to be listening to the things that He says. You see, Jesus is God. And all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in Him, according to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. That Jesus is deity, divinity, and possesses an eternal nature that never changes because He is self-sustaining. He's the same yesterday as He was today. And He'll be the same tomorrow as He was today and yesterday. He's always the same, just like God the Father. When we look at Thomas, we realize his ministry, or we can see that his ministry and death in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13, that is the last time that Thomas's name is mentioned in the Scriptures. The apocryphal Bible calls the Acts of Thomas, which was written in the third century, and we are told that Thomas worked with Judas of James and Thaddeus. Don't know how true that is. Tradition and legend and history tells us that he worked in Parthia, Persia, and Babylon. We are also told that Thomas sold himself as a slave to an Indian merchant and went to India. 
Thomas died by having a lance thrust through him while he was praying by a pagan priest in India. Again, an apostle that gave his life for the cause of Christ. The question that I want to ask tonight is, would we die for Jesus? We may not have to die physically, but we will have to die to the things of this world. And do we want to know the way to heaven? Jesus is the way. The answer is in His Word. We have to search that Word. And then we have to accept it. And then put it into action in our lives. Are we concerned with the evidence to back up our faith? Can we prove what the Bible says? Do we believe it? And do we believe it enough to risk our life on, on doing it? We too must make that good confession that Jesus is Lord and Master of our lives. And I ask, how many of us, how many of us would sell ourselves as slaves to be carried into a foreign land so that we could preach the Gospel? Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we know what Jesus did so that you could become one. He died for our sins on a cross. He died for our sins, your sins, my sins, and all mankind's sins. And He tells us what we need to do. He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Tonight you can do that. You can put your faith in God. Turn away from your sin. Make that good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then be buried with our Lord in baptism. Have your sins washed away. If you are a Christian and you have not lived as you should, you need to make changes. Something that we need to know about that we can help you with and we're more than happy to do so. But if you've sinned in a private way, you can take care of that with God. You can ask Him to forgive you and confess that sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. So tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation... Feel free to come and have a seat up here on the front row as we stand and sing.